All right, welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, PK, and alongside me this week um, in uh, Denver, Colorado, we have uh, Wick Terrell. Wick, how are you? I am doing wonderful. Excited for another week of uh, Red Reporter Podcasting. We've got a great, great guest that we've been waiting to have on for quite a while this week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also alongside us this week uh, is Eric Roseberry. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Quite good. Quite good. And uh, without further ado, our uh, special guest this week, uh, live from Arizona. The He's with watching the Red Spring training right now and uh, is going to obviously get, get some work done out there. But uh, Chris Welsh from uh, Fox Sports Ohio. Chris. Well, thanks, guys. I, uh, I finally feel that I've reached the pinnacle of my broadcasting career. I mean, I've only been doing this for 25 years, and I finally get an invitation to be on your podcast. So thank you very much for, uh, for having me. Uh, the pleasure is uh, all ours. Great. <laughs> but uh, so uh, just kind of uh, going into the news this week, uh, we are recording on Monday the 13th. So uh, just the news that just happened, um, just Dick Williams just announced that Anthony DiSlefani has a UCL sprain. So uh, he's going to be shut down for a couple of weeks. You know, let's just kind of go into what that means for the Reds rotation, what that means for Anthony DiSlefani here uh, going forward. Well, I, I guess, guys, the first thing you look at is what it does to the pitcher. Uh, because, mm-hmm. it, you know, he's the guy that he's the human being. Uh, he's worked very hard to get where he is. Uh, he's a wonderful young man. If you've never met him, I can tell you that he's the kind of kid you want to root for. Clean cut, would never embarrass the organization. I mean, he just is a, a quiet guy that keeps his nose to the grindstone. And to mm-hmm. see this kind of bad luck happen to him, it just goes to show you that these injuries, you know, uh, they, they don't discriminate. Uh, they don't. So anybody is out there subject to the, something like this. So, you know, these has got to be wondering what his future is in the short term. The kind of money that they're giving away to baseball players nowadays, you see this as a setback and you hope that this isn't something that's going to to tag along with him you know over the next few years is he going to be able to you know come back if he rests four weeks then pitch himself into shape probably over the next two or three weeks after that so now you're looking for you know at at a couple of months perhaps before he's back to full strength and what do you get if you're Scafani, you're always wondering in the back of your mind i mean is this the pitch that's going to blow out my elbow or uh, is this something that's etching away my ulnar collateral ligament uh, where it's going to be weakened and eventually i'm going to have Tommy John surgery. So those are the kind of things that go through the pitcher's mind. Of course, if you're a Reds fan or if you're in the front office or if you're a broadcaster, uh, following it as a whole, you're wondering, what does this do for the team itself? And the pitching staff, as you know, because uh, you guys are, are as smart about Reds baseball as anybody out there, uh, is as depleted as any Reds pitching staff that I've ever seen. Um, uh, you know, when, you're, when you lose Di Scafani, who you expect a couple hundred innings out of, and you home, hope to get a full year or close to it out of Homer Bailey, that's going to be cut short. And then beyond that, I mean, you, you're really, you know, you're hoping that some of these young pitchers that they have termed prospects actually turn into into real major league pitchers because that's a big jump and I think that this leaves this team in, in dire straits uh, there's just no question in my mind that this is a this is the depleted pitching staff and it's just a knockout blow here we haven't even gotten to the 15th of March 
Right. I mean, I look up at this time exactly 12 months ago, and uh, you know we were looking at potentially a mid-May rotation staff uh, that featured Di Scafani and Homer Bailey and Rysel Iglesias and maybe Michael Lorenzen and maybe John Lamb. And you know, it's one thing, especially in Reds' world, to see a, a rotation get overhauled from one year to the other as we go through this rebuild. But to have all those pitchers in camp that were part of the rebuild and then look up just 12 months later and have none of those five guys project to be part of the rotation as we start opening day 2017, uh, like you said, that, that, that that's a kind of a attrition that I'm not sure I've seen in any organization over the last, you know, five, six years of actually really, really watching this closely. You know, I guess this is a pretty good time to stop for just a second and to, you know, really discuss what the Marlins and then the Reds have done for Anthony DiSclefani all along. And what I mean by, mean by that is, uh, have they ever abused him? Have they ever made him go pitch more pitches than ever? Uh, you know, the answer is no to that. Uh, he's been a young, a good prospect ever since he came out of the University of Florida. And he's been a guy that has, you know, has been taken care of from an inning standpoint, from a pitch per, pitches per game standpoint, and all those, those kind of things that they, that they check on these guys. You know, same thing for Anthony Reyes with the, with the St. Louis Cardinals. They could not have done any more to protect this young man's arm than they did, and yet he still blew out his, his, uh, his elbow. So, mm. my, my, my response to that is, when are these big league teams finally going to learn that they're obviously doing something wrong? Yeah, uh, right. And so going forward, I mean, you mentioned Rysel Iglesias. You know why he's in the bullpen? Because they're afraid he's going to blow his arm out. Why is Michael Lorenzen in the bullpen? Maybe the same reason, because he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his arm. He came out as a, as a closer in, in college. He, he wasn't one of these guys that pitched long and, and tough games at, at Division I level. Uh, but they still think that he throws so hard that they want to protect his arm. But there's no guarantee just because they stick him in the bullpen, he's going to go out, not go out there and hurt his arm from throwing nearly 100 miles an hour. So at some point, Big league teams, including the Reds, have to figure out, you know, they seem to have think that they figure out a lot of other stuff with anal- analysis and analytics mm-hmm. and, and uh, algorithms or whatever else they do to, to, to look at these things. But until they figure out why these guys are blowing their arms out with the frequency that they are, all it's going to do is make a good team bad. It's going to uh, just crush the fan base. Uh, on those rare years where you think that you've got a chance to compete, and then it's going to cost the team a ton of money in the process. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's a that's a that's an aside what we were talking about from the team perspective. But hey, the reason we're not seeing Iglesias in the rotation is because they're afraid of his arm. The same thing for Michael Lorenzen. So, what we thought was going to be the rotation isn't the rotation because they're going to have kid gloves on everybody. But even the guys they've got kid gloves on. They end up blowing their arm out. So how do you figure that? Right, right. Yeah, that that's got to be the most frustrating thing if you're if you're the front office and if you're Anthony DiSclefani. I mean, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere in uh, 2015 and threw 180 innings. And I'm sure if, if you were the Reds, you were thinking, well, he, here's our here's our workhorse going forward. Here's a guy that we can rely on to to eat some innings for us and uh, to have, have the setbacks, even though that they, they treated him kind of with kid gloves, as you said, it's, it's, it's a really frustrating situation kind of for everybody. I was just going to ask, do you have any thoughts on things you would do different if you had the opportunity to, to try and work with these pitchers in a little different way? 
Yeah, I mean, but here's the question. here's the conundrum. That's a great uh, question. Was that Wick who asked me that? Eric. Uh, Eric, that's a great question, and and I don't have the answer. But uh, the conundrum that ball clubs find themselves in now is that they analyze the pitches, and I'm not talking about you know uh, ERAs and ground ball rates and things like that. I'm talking about actually analyzing the pitch itself. The speed of the pitch, the angle of the pitch, the, the backspin on the pitch, the movement and so on. And, and then they've determined, okay, you know, when we, we can get a pitcher that can throw a slider at this rate with this spin on it, and we can get a pitcher that can throw a two seam fastball at this speed, at this angle, you know, these are pitches that are exceptional pitches. And so we're going to strengthen our pitchers until they can do that. And so while they're, Seeing these young men uh, come up through the minor leagues, they're saying, well, because of what this guy does metrically and, and that I can, I can quantify, we think he's one of our best prospects because his fastball falls into this range and his slider falls into this range and his changeup and so on. Uh, and in order to get there, you have to make these guys stronger. So they go out and they sign the hardest throwers, and they hope that they can keep those guys healthy enough that they can throw these perfect pitches. And I, I, you look at where that has gotten them. It's gotten, you know, it, you've got a guy that you're paying close to $20 million. He's on the DL. You, you, the ace of your staff is going to miss at least four weeks of the season this year. How, I mean, there's no guarantee that, that Iglesias or Lorenzen or, or anyone else, Brandon Finnegan, is going to finish the season without being being hurt because the high the effort level of these pitchers now is higher than it's ever been before and you know so that's the conundrum that you find yourself in you say well it's been proven that these pitchers are unhittable but you know it also proven that that it, it hurts these guys so so what do we do do we back off do we kick the strength and the conditioning guys out of the out of the pitching uh, part of the clubhouse now and go back to having these guys, you know, throwing 91 and 92 miles an hour instead of 97 and 98? Do we have them throwing curveballs instead of sliders? Do we outlaw the forkball so that it takes a little pressure off the elbow? Uh, I don't know what you do, but I, I really think that we've, we've fallen in love with so much, you know, quantifiable information that we take the human element out. And I always tell hit pitchers when I'm coaching them or advising them or even just talking to them, hey, the hitter doesn't hit the radar gun. I mean, he, he doesn't see, he, he hits what he sees with his eyeballs. So if you look like you're throwing, you know, 90 miles an hour and you're really throwing 92, that's where, that's where you get some success. Um, mm. So, and, and I think that somehow teams have to go back and find the deception uh, rather than just the brute force of what they're trying to get to the major leagues now. Because the first and, thing, and I and, wouldn't, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but I would love to hear, finally, anybody from any front office, especially the Reds, though, tell me when they sign a new pitcher, whether it's a free agent pitcher, a young kid coming up, or whether it's a, a, a draftee, or they found somebody in Cuba, that instead of saying, well, you know, he, he's 95 to 97, how about, hey, this guy's got a nice slider, and he can command it on a 3-1 pitch. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we just looked up and watched Bronson Arroyo on the mound for the first time, uh, you know, in two and a half years because he's finally back to being able to be healthy enough to pitch. But, uh, you know, his health is not the issue in here. It's the fact that he made it to 38 years old before he had to have any issues with his arm. 
And yeah, like you mentioned, it's you know we hear so much about their top end speed, and we find out about their control issues later. Uh, but there's a reason why changeups and curveballs and breaking balls uh, and splitters have all been pitches that have been used routinely by every pitcher out there for years and years and years. And uh, to, to kind of echo what you mentioned before, I feel like so much of what we hear now is he's got a great fastball, but he's working on that second pitch. Um, there's a reason those second pitches have been as effective as the first one. Uh, and, and try to see how much more of that gets built back into this going forward. It's funny to have that parallel in Red's camp right now with Bronson Arroyo kind of doing his thing as a 40-year-old pitcher throwing 85, 86 uh, right at the same time. Um, it's, it's it's a weird parallel they've got going on right now. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you bring up a great point about Arroyo going so deep in his career before he has to have surgery. Uh, those are a lot of innings piled up on him. And now you have it right before your very eyes. Now, this is not to say that it's easy to pitch at 84 miles an hour in the major leagues. There are very few guys <laughs> yeah. that have been able to do that. I mean, Mark Burley is a good example of a guy that has been able to do that over the course of the years, recently retired. Uh, but, you know, Jamie Moyer, I mean, because I can, I can name a handful of them, and that's about all they are, that's how difficult it really is. So right. this is the, again, this is the, you know, the two-sided sword that these ball clubs find themselves in. Uh, you know, how do you go out and you give a guy a hundred million dollars uh, when you know that everybody else who's thrown this many innings at this velocity over this period of time has blown out? Why do you think your guy's different? So right. you almost have to expect that when you have somebody on a long-term deal, part of that deal is going to be 16 months of rehab. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Chris, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. In Jeff Passan's book, uh, The Arm, he seemed to lay a lot of the blame on the way pitchers are brought up and the wear and tear that's put on their arms before they even hit a major league system. Uh, do you think the change in that dynamic has maybe been the root cause of a lot of these problems pitchers are seeing now? No, I, I don't. I, I, I believe that the cause of this problem is simply pitchers try the, 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 the love affair that baseball has had with the radar gun and mm -hmm. exit velocity of the bat. Essentially, what we're running baseball is like an NFL combine. And I don't believe that it breaks down to that much. It's as much mental as it is physical, or maybe more so. And I think that when you fall in love with all this physicalness and the, the superior athlete syndrome, hey, you know what? Give me a, a give me a team full of gamers, and they'll figure out how to how to beat that team full of great athletes. Because right. what we what we have coming up out of the amateur ranks right now is a generation of showcase players, and yeah. these are guys that uh, they play on one team on one weekend where they go on off to a tournament, say in Nashville. The next weekend they're in Indianapolis in another tournament with another team. And the third week, they're in Atlanta on, on, with a, a, a third team and a different team. Now, they don't really care whether they win these tournaments or not because they're not going to see these guys the next week. All they really care about is if they hit a three-run home run in front of some scouts or they hit 92 on the gun or 94 on the gun. That's the, what they want to do. So we're getting a generation of kids that don't really know how to win games, that don't know how to move runners over, that don't know how to sacrifice themselves for the good of the game, and for pitchers who simply realize that all they do is need to throw hard. 
and, I, and I'm not blaming Perfect Game by any means because it's an organization that has helped a lot of kids get college scholarships and pro uh, attraction and so on. But they have a list. I mean, I don't know how, how, uh, how much you know about Perfect Game, but if you're a high school player and you're not on that Perfect Game list one way or another, you're not squat. And yeah, right. the way you get on that list is you throw hard. There's yeah. no room on that list for that cunning left-hander who's throwing 82 miles an hour with a really good curveball and changeup and gets these hitters out time after time after time. He's surpassed by the kid that's throwing 94 and is working on that breaking pitch. Yeah, or the guy that actually hits the glove where it's supposed to be on every single pitch, regardless of speed, which is something I feel like has gotten kind of pushed farther and farther down. I mean, it's, it's you know we, we keep looking up and seeing more and more about pitch framing these days, but we don't hear more and more about actually hitting the spot where the glove is supposed to be, which should be kind of like an equal part of that as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, I, I've always told pitchers that you have to find that balance in your effort level. And I don't know if any of you guys play golf. Maybe bowling could be even be a, a good comparison. But, I mean, you got to find that balance where your effort level and your control, actually command, uh, blend perfectly. So for some guys, it might be 90%. From other guys, it might be 85%. You know, some guys have to take even more off than that. But when you get guys out there who've come up through their whole life, and all they've been told is that they need to throw harder, they go to these academies where they all they want to do is increase their velocity, uh, and they, they do the heavy ball treatment, and they do all the other exercises so that they can throw harder, you can't blame them because that's what college scouts are looking for, and that's how you get scholarships. And it's also what yeah. pro scouts are looking for. But that is the cause of arm injuries. But baseball yeah. has blinders on, and they will not admit it. Yeah, it's yeah. a great point. It's yeah. a great point. When it comes to the guys that don't end up making like the, the highly touted prospects, the, the prospects that are throwing the high 90s and stuff, how important is it that teams cultivate the – the lesser tier of prospects, the, you know, the, the unheralded guys, the, the Tim Adelman's, the, you know, the, the Scott Feldman's of, of the, uh, of the world to have in their system and able to perform when these high profile guys, you know, inevitably blow their arms out. I mean, does you it have to have, it, yeah. Yeah. I guess you can never have too many, right? And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm around spring training at the big league level, but I also like to hang around the backfields where all the minor leaguers are. And at the mm -hmm. end of every spring, you know, it's a crushing day for a lot of kids who get called in and they get cut loose. I mean, they, you know, their careers are over. They may have never made it out of A-ball. They may be from some small town in Iowa, and they've been the biggest thing that ever hit that whole county. And yeah. now they're coming yeah. back home. You know, tails between their legs. And it's a very sad thing. But I've always thought, you know, maybe it was because I was a, 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 one of those type players, you know, that beat the odds ever to make it to the major leagues. And I was a puss arm left-hander that didn't, couldn't really throw uh, up around 90 miles an hour. So I tried to go under the hitting speed instead of over the hitting speed. But Crafty. I think they're, I, I think they're, yeah, well, you know, it can be called, <laughs> depending on how you pronounce that, right? Uh, <laughs> But, but, you know, it, 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 I, I get the feeling that they're releasing some guys that have still have something that could help and maybe right. an adjustment here or an adjustment there. And, um, you know, but that's why there are independent leagues out there. Uh, but, again, it 
it seems like always the hardest throwers are rising to the top because those guys are harder to hit. There's no question about it. It's a lot easier to hit a guy who's throwing 85 than it is throwing 95. Uh, But you've got to find a way to develop those extra pitches and the, the, uh, and appreciate the, uh, the Greg Maddox, like, uh, or actually he's a bad example because when he came through the minor leagues, he had a terrific arm. He could throw in the 90s, no problem. But, uh, you know, the Tommy Glavin types, uh, I think you, you have to maybe appreciate them a little bit more uh, in the minor leagues and keep them from trying to, to throw harder. Just get them to try to develop more. And I think that the problem is, is that if you go to a scouting table, nobody wants to stick their necks on the line for these guys because it's easy to stick your neck out on the line for a guy that throws 95 because you put in your scouting report, well, he throws 95, it's not my fault. I mean, I, I scouted him and I found him and he throws 95. I'm not going out on the line for this other kid, but I think that right. you know we don't, we don't look at heart enough and I don't think we look at um, what what – I guess the difference maker type athlete, the guy who is able to slow the game down around him and use his his cunning to get hitters out when when the game is on the line, rather than that big brute of a of a fastball pitcher that rears back and just tries to blow him away. Uh, right. Because you for every for every chance that really hard thrower gets, uh, or, or for every chance the the, the slow thrower gets, right? The, the, uh, the Tommy Glavin type, the hard thrower is going to get 10 chances right? because they feel, uh, hey, some, somewhere along the line has got to hit. That makes me wonder what the draft room must have been like before the Reds selected Mike Leake, now that I'm looking back at that, because they feel like he's like the, the, the modern-day embodiment of what you're talking about, which is a guy who uh, you know is durable in the way that he pitches, but also pitched in a way that uh, uh, was the exact kind of opposite of like the modern-day archetype of, 6'5", 220, throws 95 to 97 and, and can't hit a spot, but he can throw 97 and, and hope you swing at him anyway. You know, you know the, the interesting thing about that is that he was in the Strasburg draft, right? Strasburg right. went first, I think, in that draft. And, uh, and then, you know, somewhere down the line, Leak comes and he goes right to the major leagues. And now Leak, you know, on his best day isn't as good as Strasburg on his best day, but Strasburg can't stay on the field. Now, Leak has been a, a serviceable major league pitcher. Not everybody's going to be an ace of the staff. Just because you're right. a first-round pick doesn't mean you're going to be a you know, float to the top of the major league level. But here he is in the big leagues, and, and, and he's helping his teams along. So I think that's a great point. Uh, I, I'm sure that there are other guys in the draft that can do that, but you've got to have teams that, that really want to believe in them. And I think there are more of those cases in the minor leagues than teams uh, actually see. Just uh, I guess to kind of like pigeon or to dovetail off of that uh, pigeon dove, using my bird metaphors here. Um, uh, so much of what the Reds suffered with last year, at least on paper at the big league level, was how bad the bullpen was to start the season. But I think what kind of underscored all of that was how much attrition there was in the starting rotation to start the year, and then suddenly guys were going you know three three you know three and two thirds innings every single start, as opposed to getting deep into games. And the guys who were in the bullpen were overtaxed and underprepared for all of that, and it really snowballed out of control. Um, I know Brian Price has talked specifically about wanting to get a lot more, uh, uh, I guess, projectable innings out of guys like Iglesias and Lorenzen, asking them to maybe go two innings at a time, which is something that we, I think we saw a little bit in the postseason last year, but not so much in the regular season. Um, is that something you think might be – 
at least like the the start of a middle ground from what we've talked about so far? I think you're, I, I think yes, and I don't think it's just the Reds that are trying to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, but the problem is you got to have more than just those two. You have to have four guys in that bullpen that are almost as equal as as the two that you mentioned, Lorenzen and Iglesias. So if you have a Lorenzen, uh, Lorenzen and Iglesias, then you have a major drop-off. Well, <clears throat> you know, you just start doing the numbers, uh, you know, start plotting it out from the day of the week on, starting on Sunday, okay? You know, if we use this guy for two innings here, we've got to wait till Tuesday to use him. And then if we use him Tuesday, he probably is going to need three days off the next time. And pretty soon you're going to get in a – it won't take very long at all until you're going to get into a high-leverage situations and neither of those guys are going to be available. Right. So that's why you need a couple of more. You can't just do it with two. You've got, you could do it with four. I'm all for it. I've never been one of these guys. I've always thought that the save and the closer uh, thing is ridiculous. Um, right. Because yeah. so many times, you know, we've seen the classic, well, the, the really tough part of the, the, the lineup comes up in the eighth inning, and then the, you know, the, the closer gets the bottom of the lineups and some pinch hitter in the ninth. So it's, it's, I, I, like the, I like that movement in that direction, but you've got a pretty good pitching staff to do that, and you're not going to be able to do it if your starters are only going to go three and four innings. And that's right. where the problem right. specifically with the Reds is this year because the starters that they're going to run out there uh, are going to have a hard time getting out there on a consistent basis giving you six and seven innings. Well, I think, Chris, the obvious question becomes with so many open rotation spots now, uh, are there a few guys you particularly liked that stand out as options to fill those spots? Well, you know, there are a lot of spots open. I mean, let's just think for a moment here. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's talk about the guys that are in camp and healthy and are projected to be in the rotation right now. Brandon Finnegan, Scott Feldman. Now, we really don't know much about – I mean, Brandon Finnegan had a nice year last year. He he got tired towards the end. Uh, He's a high-effort pitcher. He's still a young kid. He's only a couple of years out of college. Uh, So – by all rights, I mean, this kid could still be in AAA. But he's got uh, swing and miss stuff because he's got a very fast arm and he's got good deception. He's got a, a nice slider and an improving changeup. And I think he's going to get better and better. He's got a bulldog attitude. I love the kid and his approach. But to ask him to anchor this pitching staff might be just a little bit of a reach. Scott Feldman. Is there a reason why Scott Feldman was available so deep into the free agent year that the Reds were able to sign him as they did uh, and really not at the time they signed him promise him that he was even going to be in the rotation? They signed him as the, to be the long man. Now, there's an outside chance he could be your opening day starter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, hey, hello, Jimmy Haynes, right? So it's – so now, okay, let, let, let's really let's, – let's talk about those guys because those are the two of the best you have. What is your realistic expectation as to how many innings per game they're going to give you? What do you think, Eric? I mean, you'd like more than six, but probably six to seven. Well, I mean, Brandon Finney only went five last year. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so you're asking him to give you a whole bunch really more and better effort this year, and maybe you do. Maybe you get one year better, and that can happen for him. Uh, I don't know if Scott Feldman can do that in this ballpark or not. Uh, yeah, when I yeah. see a Feldman, yeah. when I see a Feldman in spring training, and believe me, I, I don't put any value to spring training at all as far as evaluating players. I really don't. 
Uh, you can be fooled in September and you can be fooled in March and every team is fooled and every, everybody gets all excited about some young kid and then you never hear from him again once he gets sent down in May. So it, 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 it it's, it's, can be very sticky when you're doing that. But what my point is, is that, you know, these guys, if, if you get five innings out of Feldman every time out and you get five innings out of Finnegan every time out, that's really probably what your expectation should be. You may want six or seven, and you may get right. it occasionally, right. but there are going to be times when here they're going two and three. Because and those Feldman are the, those stuff are the is known stuff. quantities at this point, yeah. That's yeah. my point. Yeah. yeah. So now you've got to fill a rotation with three other guys who are unknown quantities. And yeah. if, it's, if one of them is Amir Garrett, and I watched Amir pitch today, and he was splendid, uh, there was a time when I didn't like Amir's delivery at all, uh, that he really short-armed the ball. Uh, but he's come such a long way since I first saw him in spring training uh, uh, years ago, uh, working a lot with Tony Fossis down there uh, and some of the other pitching coaches that they've been able to, uh, to put around him, that he's got better extension now. He's simplified his delivery. Uh, he keeps his head still. His direction is good with his, str- his stride foot. He does a lot of things right as a pitcher. That and the fact that he's a big, tall kid and he throws in the mid-90s effortlessly, I think that gives him an edge. He uses changeup extremely well today. And I got to commend Rob Brantley behind the plate for calling him to make those pitches when he had to rather than just letting him go out there and try to fire the fastball by him. So I would say that he's a sense to make this ball club. But then again, yeah. I would imagine, you know, in, in, in the contemporary strategy of protecting young pitchers' arms, he's going to have a pitch limit at some point in the season, right? So right. you've got to be careful on how many innings he's pitches. And the, what you get with young kids is a couple of really good starts and a couple of really bad starts where all of a sudden he's going to go out there and he's not going to be able to find a strike zone. And then yeah. he's, next time he's out, he's going to get hit around. And then pretty soon his, his, his confidence is going to begin to crack a little bit. So uh, it's not going to be sailing free just because he's got a good arm and he had a couple of good outings in spring training. Beyond that, I, I'm not really sure who, who settles in for this team. You know, Adelman had a nice run last year, uh, but this guy is pitching in the independent league uh, two years ago. Uh, so, uh, I mean, there's a reason for that. Now, I love Tim Adelman. He's a great kid. He's a hard worker. He's got some deception and so on. But, again, he is a four-and-a-half to five-inning pitcher at most. Yeah. Uh, I would say on at, at the end of the year when you start dividing it all up. Uh, I liked uh, Sal Romano a lot the other day when I saw him pitch. I would personally would think that Romano, with his effort level, uh, is more of a, of a, of a reliever than a, than a starter. So if I'm going to design the pitching staff the way the Reds are with these multiple inning relievers, Romano would be part of my bullpen right now. Because mm-hmm. here's the other reason. Romano is a, is a hard thrower, man. He throws, you know, 95 or so. He's in that category, as far as I'm concerned, that he's eventually going to get hurt. Yeah. So why let him burn up good innings in AAA when, he can, when, he, when he's, he can burn them up here in the big leagues and maybe learn in the process and – and really help. So uh, those are some of the guys that come to mind that I like. I, I, you know, I, I like uh, uh, the kid that pitched today, uh, Jimmy Hergit, a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he would he would yeah. be on my staff to breaking out of spring training. I don't care if he's only pitched A ball or double A, whatever he was. Other than the fact that he broke most of my records at the University of South Florida and yeah. been there forever. <laughs> 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 yeah. he, he he actually uh, is very deceptive. Uh, he has got a kind of a strange delivery, which give hitters a completely different look. Yeah, he's got a uh, and and I'm 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 watching the hitter react to the pitcher. I don't like to sit behind home plate uh, all the time. I like to kind of sit on the side, and I, I watch the hitters and, and their timing and so on. And they're off timing on this guy. I, I really like him a lot. Um, so those are some of the guys that come to mind that I think. I'm probably missing some, too. I mean, you can bring them up. But, but uh, those are the guys that kind of jump out at me. Uh, Rookie Davis is another guy. I, I like the way he finishes his pitches. He gets really good extension at the very end of his fastball. And when he keeps it down, uh, and Romano, somehow with that delivery, he keeps it down. I don't know how he does, but he does. Uh, he, uh, Rookie Davis has some nice life, too. I would bring him up and put him in the bullpen to start. Uh, now, with that said, you know what's going to happen with the Reds towards the end of spring training, don't you? They've got all their scouts hovering around a lot of other teams right now because there are a lot of other teams with major tough decisions to make. For instance, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers have a 40-man roster, and they're, they're going to have to cut guys loose because they're out of options. And the Reds are – well, the, what we're talking about right now, who is going to make this ball club, at the last minute you are going to see, in my prediction, an influx of a bunch of pitchers that have just got released somewhere else, and they're going to end up in a Reds uniform. Because, yeah. <clears throat> because they're going to be better than what you got. They're somewhat of a known co- – commodity and you got to go with it because maybe you don't want to send these kids up here right now maybe you don't want to push them too fast maybe you don't want to get their arbitration clocks going whatever the whatever the reason you're probably going to go off and go with a known quantity than an unknown quantity right well and we've already seen them bring in a couple of those guys and a guy like lisa alberto bonilla who you know it sounds like they they like they gave him a couple of starts here and there and it, it seems like that same kind of mold that him or Nephi Ogando or someone like that, that had, had seen some major league time and allows you to kind of keep these young kids from, as you said, getting their arbitration clock started and starting that process. Yeah, that's a good point. And those guys do fall in that category. If I'm, if I'm an evaluator for the Reds, I'm taking the guys that throw the strikes. Right. The uh, it, yeah, yeah, you know, <clears throat> absolutely. And, I, and when they made that deal, I came out on Twitter and say, uh, you know, I kind of like that deal because the Reds got to get younger. Of course, you know, you, you you do have to get younger. But the fact is that they did have Straley under control for several years, uh, yeah. and and you know, they didn't really believe that Straley was going to be able to duplicate what he did, and he may or may not. Yeah. But he's yeah. a smart. Right now, I mean, he probably is going to be your opening day starter if he's on this ball club. So, you know, you, you can always look back and say this and that, but, but uh, they feel that, you know, in talking to some of the front office guys, they feel that this staff is very deep with prospects and, and pitchers that can contribute. I, would the Reds run through 28 pitchers last year, 29 pitchers? I think they're yeah, probably going to be – they'll have more than that this year. Well, we're going to be in the 33 to 35 range uh, this year uh, when it comes to the number of pitchers that will tow the rubber for the Reds. 
it's 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 funny that you mentioned that because like I, I've been watching the, the the World Baseball Classic games, which have been fantastic so far uh, throughout the first round at least. Uh, but they're all guys who have you know. 60, 65 pitch limits uh, that they're going up against, and you're seeing a new pitcher in every two, three innings, and they're all talented pitchers that come in fresh and are throwing, you know, gas left and right. That's a process that works in the World Baseball Classic. I feel like if the Reds could employ that, if they get a you know an unlimited roster and they get a chance to let all of these guys throw, uh, like you said, with a little bit of kid gloves on in terms of inning limits or pitch counts. It would work fantastically right now, but the reality is that's not how the active roster works. That's not how a 162-game season works. And how they kind of blend keeping all those guys in the system to let them marinate and develop to be ready you know, a year or two from now while also getting themselves through the 2017 season, especially now that we know that Discofondi is not going to be ready for quite a while. That's one thing that uh, you know it, it reminds me a lot of why the bullpen ended up struggling so badly last year because there just weren't enough innings to be pitched by the guys who actually were in the dugout every single day. I, I think that's a good point. You know, the other thing is, is that I think managers and, and GMs now can manipulate the new disabled list. So what is it, a seven-day or a ten-day disabled list? That yeah, they can the put pitchers yeah. on. Uh, so that's going to have an effect. I mean, for a real sharp front office, they're going to be able to, to move pitchers in and out a lot easier because of that DL. Uh, and, and I'm all for giving young pitchers big league experience. Uh, I don't care if they get knocked around a little bit and they get sent back to the minor league. I hear all these front office people and these scouts say, oh, you know what, I ruined their confidence. Hey, you know what? If getting beat around in the big leagues ruins your confidence, you don't belong to big leagues. Right. You know, because it's not how you pitch well up here. It's how you get up after you get knocked down. And those are the kind of guys that are going to make winners out of your ball club. And I think that that's why – uh, you know you're gonna. I, I you know you're right. We're gonna see a lot of pitchers, and I want to see them get to get their toes wet a little bit up here and see how they can adjust. Chris, I'm curious. It might be a little disappointing for some fans that with so many open slots, uh, somebody like Robert Stevenson or Cody Reed isn't at the top of this list. What's your take on those two guys heading into this season? You know, I, I think the Stevenson uh, has got. Plenty enough stuff in the pitching in major leagues. I think that he has a hard time slowing the game down around him. Uh, he's a, uh, a kid that gets excited internally, and he has to learn how to take a deep breath or two and just back off a little bit. I mean, his stuff is plenty good enough. At, he's the perfect example of what I mean out of a guy that needs to learn how to pitch at 90%. Save yeah. something in the can when you need it. Use that breaking ball at 90%. And then when you need it, do what Cueto did. You know, Cueto pitched at 90, 91, and when he needed 95, it was there. Now, Cueto's a special, you know, kid, a special pitcher. But, I mean, Stevenson can be that. But it's an adjustment that you have to make. And sometimes it takes longer than others. Cody Reed, uh, I really like Cody Reed. But he has to figure out how to be, uh, how to use that third pitch. Because Cody Reed, uh, as good as his stuff is, yeah, there's not a lot of deception there because he uh, is kind of like Madison Bumgarner. But one of the things that makes Bumgarner difficult is that Bumgarner throws across his body. And it's kind of an unusual arm slot that hitters don't see very often. He keeps his front side closed really 
quite well and hides the ball. Even though he's got a really long arm out there, low three-quarter, he hides the ball well. When Reed is right on, on direction and that front side opens a little bit, you see the ball the whole way. Now, he throws hard, and he, he's got great extension because he's a tall kid, and he, he gets good extension towards the plate. So he does make the radar gun lie a little bit. He's sneaky fast, and he's got a nice biting slider. But he's another kid that I think that can learn how to back off a little bit and become a better pitcher. But that you have to have somebody to coach him and to do that so that when he does go out there and give up a, a three-run home run on a changeup, hey, young man, you go right back out there next inning and you throw the same pitch. But I believe at this point, from what I've seen so far in the spring, both of those guys need just a little bit more experience in the minor leagues to start the season uh, uh, before I throw them in the big leagues. Yeah, there's at least what I see right now. Now, now things yeah. could change over the next yeah. few weeks. I mean, Reed could come out and all of a sudden it could click, and it could click for Stevenson too. But you're asking me what I see right now? That's what I see. Right. Yeah, there, there was a time in my life where every time I stepped on a 160-yard par three, I was trying to hit an eight iron as hard as I possibly could when I knew it was only going to go 159 yards. And <laughs> my, 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 my handicap got slightly better when I realized, yeah, just take the seven and hit it a little smoother. <laughs> and odds are you're going to be in a lot better shape than when, uh, when you're overswinging and you're giving it everything you got. You know, the, the bottom line still is, not good. Don't throw you through the hole, right? I mean, the bottom <laughs> line is, you want to make a hole of one, you want to make a birdie. So, and, and, yeah. and the bottom line for pitching yeah. is getting the hitter out. Nobody asks yep. when you're at finish. How, how you know? All they ask in golf is how many, right? They don't yeah. ask you how you did it. They don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> the same with pitching. They want to know how many innings you pitched and how many runs you gave up. They That's don't so ask true. you how many sliders you threw or how many times you grunted and farted so that you could throw the ball 98 <laughs> miles an hour. So the only guy we really care about that is the Rolda Chapman, right? Yep. How many times he, he touches 100 or better. Anything else is who cares. Yep. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So one other thing that we want to ask you about um, is your your new endeavor, this uh, Baseball Rules Academy. Tell us a little bit about it, how it came about, and uh, where where it's going. Well, you know, I, I've been in a broadcast booth for a long time, and there have been plenty of times, guys, when I see a quirky play on the field and that involves a rule interpretation. And there's an argument that ensues one way or another, or something happens, and we go to break, and I reach into my little cabinet, and I pull out the rule book, and I know full well when I open up the cover, there is no chance that I'm going to find that rule in that amount of time, be able to read it, understand it, cross-reference it to another part of the book, and read the ambiguous language that's in that rule book, and they come up to the viewers and say, okay, folks, I got it, here it is. Right. There's, it just doesn't happen. The baseball rules are convoluted, they're ambiguous, uh, they're, they're, they're a mess, they're a cross-reference mess of words that have never really been revamped. So uh, I decided that I wanted to come up with a DVD on the rules of baseball. And just, you know, then I realized after we shot, I, I sent a, a, a film crew down to, to uh, Phoenix, Arizona about four years ago. And I got to my friend Ted Barrett to come out. And we had a little league team or a, a youth team. Kelly Stinnett's team came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went through all these simulated plays and we covered about 150 different clips and different rules. 
And I got back home and I realized, you know what? It's an impossible thing to monetize a DVD nowadays because everybody has rip-off software. And before you know it, it's all going to be on YouTube free. Unless I want to be, you know, uh, the Internet police, it's, I'm just doing this for nothing. So I decided to do it in a different way and actually even make it better. So I decided to put it in, in a, like a course form. And as right. part of that course, right. I wanted to have a search box so that if anybody was in my same predicament, if they're at your youth league kids game or if they're at, uh, you know, watching a game on TV or if they're at the ballpark, they can whip out their mobile phone and they can look up a rule instantly. If you just type in catcher's interference, you know, you're going to come up with a bunch of results. So this is what I set out to do. So we eventually, with a, a group effort, with a number of people that I've hired as contract people uh, to... Uh, and some people I've gone in partnership with uh, to essentially rewrite the rule book. And uh, uh, we've done that. I mean, we use the, the wording from the rule and we try to put it in layman's language and then we put a video along with it. And then we have a little series of quizzes and questions at the end of each topic and chapter. So uh, that's where it started. The, 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 the whole website right now is called BaseballRulesAcademy.com. And uh, there's two parts of it. One's a free part. Uh, you can get on, you can log in, or you, you don't have to log in. You just type in whatever rule or phrase or anything else about baseball that you want to know, and it will come up with a search result that you can read free would be, I'll take you right to the rule that you're looking for. You don't have to thumb through the pages anymore. I'll take you right to the umpire interpretation manual uh, put out each year by MLB. It'll tell you in comment form if umpires should look for certain things when it comes to, say, a balk or uh, Catcher's Interference or something like that. That's, uh, awesome. that's a very interesting book. And uh, so that will give you automatically a head start. If you want to get deeper than that, uh, and there are some people that do, uh, we offer uh, a membership. And the membership will get you access to about 200 different video clips. It will get you access to uh, 100 different, what we call them insider reports. They're really case studies written by a, uh, well, right now, there's several uh, authors writing them. One is a gentleman named Rich Marazzi, who uh, has been writing uh, around baseball rules for, you know, for 40 years. He appears, uh, I, I started reading his stuff about 20 years ago when I started subscribing to the Collegiate Baseball Magazine. And he has an article in there each month or, uh, about, uh, you know, crazy rules. And I used to cut them out and, and file them because I thought these were so fascinating. And... Uh, so anyway, we've got those all logged in there and tagged so that they also come up as part of the search engine. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we have also got blogs that are tagged as well. So I've got some rules experts from around the, the country uh, who are high school rules experts, who are college NCAA rules experts. We're moving towards Little League. I've got M uh, MLB rules experts writing blogs for me. So uh, eventually, you know, the content will get bigger and bigger. Right now, there's a ton of stuff in there. And uh, so that's basically what it is. Uh, if you're a member, you get your own dashboard. Uh, you get credit with points, like frequent flyer points, when you read a special report or when you watch a video or when you take a test or a quiz. Uh, when you log on, you get some points. So there's some internal competition if you're into that. Uh, you see your name on the leaderboard. Uh, we've set it up so that a, a coach can enter his entire team at a very big discount, and he can get his team to get on there. They can take chapter one about the batter. You know, we start really basic, you know, you know, you know 
three strikes, you're out. You know, what is in the strike zone? What is not in the strike zone? When can you run? When you can you not run? Uh, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, kids, hopefully, we were trying to gamify it a little bit. It's very difficult to come up with a concept. If you can figure out how to do it, I'm open. To, I'm wide open. But <laughs> I'd like to get kids, I'm like to get kids involved in a way so it's a little bit gamified. We're not anywhere near there yet, but we're, we're hoping that down the road we'll be able to figure out a way to do that. Very cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like the the coolest thing about it to me is, you know, when I when I first heard about it and that it was going to be just like a kind of a database for the rule book, I it's it's one of those things that when you're watching a game, you know, you think of, you think about it every once in a while when something crazy happens and then you're wondering, you're scrambling, oh, well, what's the rule there? What's, you know, what is like, the precedent can they, there? Can they do when, that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, normally I, you know, I'm waiting for you know somebody on Twitter, the beat writer, or someone to find it, or you know someone in the booth to to look up the rule and uh, and tell us as the viewers. So, you know, the fact that it there's now like an online repository for that is is a really cool uh, thing to me. Make sure to check that out if uh, you're listening. It's uh, baseballrulesacademy.com, right? I, I guess with that, we're going to wrap this week's episode up. I think we're right at the 50 or so minute mark. So uh, make sure to follow uh, follow Chris on Twitter at ThinkPitch. And uh, make sure to watch uh, all season on, on Fox Sports Ohio. I'm sure you'll do a couple of radio games this year, right, as you do. So uh, for uh, Eric and Wick and, uh, and Chris Welsh, uh, have, a good, uh, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.